look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. Welcome to another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. I'm joined by my third partner, Andrew Masson. Faisal out of town this week. Uh, we hope he's having a good time on vacation with his daughter. Uh, we've got an interesting show uh, this week, Andrew. A couple of neat things we're going to be talking about, uh, a little bit about the healthcare bucket. You know, we've been negligent, I think, on the show, not uh, addressing things like orthodontics because there's a growing trend amongst people, sort of 50-plus, going back for either cosmetic or medical reasons, right, yep. to have their teeth adjusted, jaw adjusted, whatever the case may be, right? Yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit about that with, uh, with an, orthodont- an orthodontist and see what's, uh, what's what in that, uh, in that area. And we also want to talk about, um, uh, we're going to talk about markets and volatility again, but what if it's causing you stress or losing sleep at night? You know, what can you do to de-stress? I think that'll be an interesting topic and perhaps relevant for a lot of people. <laughs> including us. <laughs> yeah, including us. <laughs> so stick around for that, uh, that segment. That'll be interesting. Okay, let's, um, let's talk a little bit about, uh, about markets. We, we had our conference call, our client conference call, our quarterly conference call uh, this, uh, this week, this past week, uh, with clients. And, you know, when we were preparing for that, we were preparing our comments and our research and our notes in an environment where markets, you know, were, were, were tanking, right? Yeah. Now, at the very end of the month, right, by the date we delivered it, it, they had started to move up. But there was a ton of fear. Well, I think we have to start back. Like, remember, this has been going on not for a couple of days, but for, for going four yeah. and five weeks. This yeah. has started a while back. But, but more and more conversations that I've had, and I'm sure you and Faisal have as well, Dave, is, is really around fear. And that fear is... What's happened in the market? Am I going through another 2008 financial crisis all over again? Yep. And and that fear and that stress level has been quite high for the people we've talked to on a general basis. But um, let me let me throw it out there: Is this 2008? Um, no, no, none of the none of the research would indicate this is a 2008 situation. Um, you know, and I, I think this is interesting. Let's let's just talk sort of generalities in, in a minute. Um, for a minute, because I want people to understand uh, that vol- market volatility, in, especially in stocks and equity markets, right, um, is what we've seen in, say, the month of October is not, is actually not, it's, it's normal. Well, it just hasn't been normal for the past two or three years because mm-hmm. we've been in an environment, and I always cite 2017 when I talk about this, 2017 um, on the S&P 500 index had the lowest amount of volatility in history. That's correct. The worst peak to trough fall in 2017 on the S&P 500 was 2.5%. Mm-hmm. That's abnormal. But we kind of got used to that. Well, it's abnormal in the fact that it was only once, too. Peaks yeah. to trough. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's not uncommon to have two, three, and sometimes four falls within a, in a, in a one-year cycle. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, we've, in this year, uh, to date, we've had, we've had two of those, right? But a 10% equity market pullback. Um, is anything between zero and ten percent is is a blip, right? We don't even start to classify it until you get greater than ten percent, right? Which is a correction, and then when you get mm-hmm. greater greater than a twenty percent pullback peak to trough, we start talking about you know a bear market, right? Yes. Um, so this is what I think we need to, to to think a little bit about. Now, I would say, however, that the volatility, perhaps the speed at which we experience the volatility, 
maybe has picked up, right? So we had some very sharp corrections in very short period of time. Um, people, of course, suffer the downs. They don't really suffer volatility on the upside. But we had, uh, even when we had down days, uh, there was often a lot of travel, like big wow. thousand points. Yeah, I was saying that the Dow, the Dow intraday, we were doing, uh, what was it 850 or 950 this week alone? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, a big swing. So, and, and that I understand, and I, I, I want to be uh, cognizant of, of saying this, is, is that I, I get that that creates fear for sure, right? And mm -hmm. then the absence of information about what's causing it or the uncertainty of what the future could hold it immediately takes people to kind of whatever their worst case scenario is. And for many people, that was 2008, right? Yeah. Is this a repeat? Hence your question is, hey, Dave, is this a repeat? Andrew, is this a repeat of 2008 all over again? Should we be going to cash right now? That's right. Right. And so it was. Um, and, it was and, interesting. And, and the only thing I can say to that is the same thing. And I, I, there is nowhere near, in my view, and I don't think in yours either, that we're in what I call a bike-hand goods moment. No, I don't yeah. think we're running into the soup point. kitchens, and I don't think anything is, is, is terrible, and I don't think the sky is falling by right. any means. No, I think that's true. Um, and I want you to stick around for the uh, for the fourth segment today because we're going to go through some of the data. I, I think I would like to share. Um, with our listening audience, a little bit of the data that we shared with our clients in support of those comments, right? It's one thing yeah. for somebody to call and say, hey, don't worry about it. It's the long term. And, uh, you know, you get that standard response from our from our industry. Uh, I'm not sure that's necessarily enough to be soothing, right? It's no, got to be backed up by something. Well, I think you have to back it up. And I have to think you have to realize, you know what, um, this is a time where you have to really look at your strategy and your direction. And I know we keep hitting on this thing, but, you know, uh, you know, does it make sense? Have you Is your investment strategy different than it was before and if it was then okay if, if you think things are different you have to act differently yeah yeah gut check time and you know volatility always is a point of gut check and make sure you're sleeping at night if you're not right that but might... but what what ends up happening most times when we see these things um and individual investors will walk out they'll sell they'll sit on the sidelines wait for the market goes up but by the time the market goes up right. what happened yeah you missed it yeah you missed it Exactly. So, so fear can, this is behavioral finance stuff now, but fear can often motivate um, poor decision making, particularly from, from an, you know, an investor perspective, exactly what you just said. And we want to make sure that people avoid doing that. Now, we're not saying don't change your portfolio if you're not sleeping at night. We're not saying don't make adjustments. We're not saying any of those things. What we're saying is that you don't want to be in a position where that, that, that volatility that we experienced in the month of October drives a poor decision that or ultimately it. affects your long-term uh, performance. That's right, because right, that knee-jerk reaction can be quite painful when it comes to the longer-term performance of your portfolio. That's right. Yeah, we got to be careful about the emotional decisions versus the rational decisions based on facts and data. As I said, I want to spend a bit of time in the fourth segment when we wrap all this up today in our show and talk about some of that data to arm people with the information they need to help them make proper you know, proper investment decisions and mm -hmm. weather the storm when we get these bouts of volatility, which I'm going to say to you again is normal. What we haven't experienced in the last little while is the normal volatility. I think it's here. It's probably I, back to stay. I think the train has come back and right. it's sticking around. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Now, um, what do we got to talk about? Oh, uh, what's our next segment coming up on? We should talk a little bit about um, what's coming up on the show. Uh, we gave you the headline at the top, but we're going to talk about orthodontics as a part of our health bucket. We've not yet done that. But we know there's a, a big trend around both medical and cosmetic issues with respect to, um, you know, with respect to health, how you feel, the retirement experience that you're having. 
Uh, but before we do that, let's remind everybody about our upcoming seminar. Upcoming seminar, Profit Protect. Look at those four buckets we do. Growth, income, health, and legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, coming up on Tuesday, November 20th. That's 7 p.m. at the Crowfoot Co-op Wine Spirits Beer. Um, give us a call if you'd like to register. 966-8400. Once again, 966-8400. Or morethanmoneyradio.com. And ladies and gentlemen, please don't delay if you're interested. We'd love to see you there. Um, but the seats have been filling up very quickly and uh, this month is no different. We look forward to seeing you there and stick around after the break. We're going to talk a little bit about orthodontics. You're on 770 CHQR and more than money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Andrew. Faisal's away this week. Uh, Andrew Masson, our third partner on the Popwich Carmelli Advisor Group, joining us today. Uh, and Andrew, listen, we've we got to talk a little bit about um, the health bucket. We, we talk about this regularly, but i got to say, I think we've been remiss uh, on one area. You know, we have talked we talk a lot about so dementia and Alzheimer's and you mm-hmm. know physical and so on and so forth. But we've we've really never kind of covered off this notion of of dental care, right? Um, and it's an area that I have to tell you that we get there's lots of interest in. We've got lots of clients yep. that you know are doing uh, either cosmetic work or sort of reconstructive work, and uh, it's an area I think that we need to spend a little bit of time on. We've got a terrific guest to help us do that. Dr. Tarun Mera is an orthodontist at Totally Orthodontics. Uh, Tarun, thanks for joining us on the show. It's a pleasure to join you folks. Uh, I'm glad to be online uh, to talk to you about any questions you have about orthodontics and, and how we can apply to uh, our uh, our generation. Yeah, well, I, I think we have to we have to start there. I mean, when you think of um, you know you think of braces and stuff, we typically think of children, and that's you know certainly obviously a target audience there. But um, I, I have to tell you, I have more and more people that I talk to in sort of this 50 plus generation that maybe have crooked teeth and didn't have an opportunity when they were younger uh, to deal with it. And some of that could be for cosmetics reasons or cosmetic reasons. Some of it could be for real health reasons. Um, I'd like to start the conversation, if you wouldn't mind sharing with me a little bit about your experience with, uh, with an older clientele and any trends that you're seeing. Well, it's interesting you say that because we're seeing, um, I, sorry, I'm seeing more and more of my uh, adult patient practice growing uh, in leaps and bounds. Uh, a lot of parents are coming back and saying, you know what, I did my kids, and now it's my turn, Yeah, uh, which is fun. And I enjoy it. Because, uh, the adult patients that are fabulous to deal with, they're, they're very compliant. They, they see the value in what we're trying to do. And secondly, one of the things we notice is that, you know what, as time ages our dentition, we end up developing problems, right. bruxism, grinding, TMJ issues, uh, dental attrition, which is the wearing of teeth, So, or even... Um, severe dental crowding, which causes periodontal problems. And and so I go in there and give them kind of a comprehensive look, not just orthodontics, because I, I have a very different philosophy of, of approaching a patient. I, I just don't look at teeth. I look at the whole picture in terms of where they want to see themselves today and where they want to see themselves tomorrow. Um, and that's how I approach a problem. It's not just let's straighten teeth out, but what are your goals? What do you want to do? We're living longer now, like our life expectancies into our 80s in Canada, and um, 30 years at 50 plus, uh, how do you want to see yourself for the next 30 years? And that's how I, I approach a lot of patients. Sounds a bit like financial planning, Dave. <laughs> it does, absolutely. <laughs> what are your goals? What is the direction? What's everything else? That's outstanding. Um, and, and so... You'd mentioned some things, you know, about some some different uh, different issues that people have as they get older. Um, could could you go in a little bit more detail about that? You know, is it just a cosmetic concern, or is it much larger than that? 
Well, I think it's much more large than that. Um, one is uh, TMJ is a big concern, always, obviously, um, where patients are can sometimes develop bruxism, which is the the concept of grinding your teeth either in the daytime or at nighttime, although most of us do it at nighttime. Mm-hmm. We clench and grind during our sleep. It's nothing... We can't stop it. So as an orthodontist, we can help the dental alignment if it's the alignment that's causing the problem. Um, or we can apply, uh, prescribe some, uh, some appliances to help prevent further dental damage. And we can, patients can sometimes grind their teeth so severely that their teeth are worn down into black cusps. And those are things that we want to try to avoid as we move along. So I, I prescribe to the philosophy an ounce of prevention is a pound of cure. Um, why let your dentition deteriorate to the point where you now need comprehensive reconstructive work to rebuild it back up again where we can be preventative as we move along and, and be preventive instead of reactive. That's one issue. And then the other issue is this, as we get older, many of us, uh, uh, particularly more men, we develop uh, some airway breathing problems. We tend to have some sleep apnea issues and snoring so there, there's orthodontic appliances we can apply, or I can do some assessments to figure out and assess how the airway is are working and function, functioning in terms of dental complications that may arise. Secondly, there are also situations where the extreme grinding may result in a patient needing more comprehensive uh, reconstructive work with their teeth. So it's usually a combined approach where we do some basic dental alignment followed by a more comprehensive reconstructive approach to some of the teeth that have broken down over time. Do you, Tarun, I'm, just, I'm curious to know um, if, if the patients you're seeing 50 plus, uh, is, is there a, a trend that you can pick up on? Is it, is it medical issues that they're trying to address? Is it cosmetic or are they basically, you know, it's just a combination of both in most cases? You know, it, it's both because when, when you're dealing with a teenager, um, and I'm not saying that they're all this way, but many of them are coming because they've been referred or they know there's a dental problem. I, I enjoy treating adults specifically because they see the problems themselves and they're addressing it, both from the medical point of view as, the, as well as the aesthetics and the cosmetic point of view. So it's a, it's a multifactorial approach, which is which is really fun and exciting for me because it gives me the opportunity to really engage with the patient and, and help them resolve the concerns that they may have. And what, um, to what extent, if it's medically, uh, you know, medically a problem, are, are orthodontic treatments uh, covered by health care plans? Well, it depends on the plan that you have. You know, many employers will only, uh, uh, or certain types of plans will only cover the basic health coverage. Um, and orthodontics may not be applicable for patients who are over a certain age in the plan. So that's something that everyone has to look into in more detail. But I also tell a lot of our, our, our clients who are in this generation, they may be self-employed or they have a, a company in which they have uh, health spending accounts. So I often ask them to talk to their HR or, or set up a, a private health plan or health spending account. There you can possibly cover the, the interesting stuff that you need to get done for your health. So those are some aspects that they can do it. Now, from a tax perspective, any expenses paid out to dental or medical expenses that are above and beyond a certain percentage of your income is considered a tax-deductible expense right. to a certain degree, and I think you're, you're probably preaching to that as well. 
Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, for sure. That's good. What um, I, I'm just curious if, uh, you know, to people that are listening right now, and again, I'm, I'm more along the health care side versus the cosmetic at this point, but what are some symptoms that, you know, people should be aware of that, uh, you know, might be orthodontic related and can lead to something worse if it's not caught or treated early? Okay, well, let's first talk about uh, the medical concerns. One is um, as we get older, many of us will develop snoring problems or airway problems. I'm not saying everyone will, but some do. And some of that can be attributed to a patient having a very, very small jaw, and that may not have been a concern when they are younger. But as we get older, our muscle tonicity changes. Uh, we may gain weight, and then we end up with obstructive uh, sleep patterns. And some, there are some orthodontic procedures that can help correct that. Now, sleep apnea is is a big concern because it can lead to hypertension, diabetes. I'm not saying it's the root cause of it, yep. but clearly there are some some uh, negative associated effects with with chronic sleep problems, which is. Uh, Ubiquitous as being a parent, <laughs> yep. as well as yep. as, uh, as we get older, um, that's one issue. Now, from a dental perspective, some patients may have cross bites, which means one of the teeth lock in a mal position, and that causes excessive excessive wear patterns of the tooth. Um, another concern is is that when patients have a deep deep bite, which means in simple language where the upper teeth overlap the bottom teeth too excessively, and that creates a, a terrible wear pattern and sometimes uh, periodontal disease. Severe dental crowding problems, where the teeth are very crunched up and overlapping each other, uh, makes it very, very difficult for a patient to actually maintain their hygiene or even keep their teeth clean. And interestingly enough, in 2017, an article came out where they did a survey where they checked patients or assessed patients who had orthodontic care versus those who didn't. And they found a reduction in periodontal disease in the population of patients that had orthodontic care, which suggests that orthodontics is not just cosmetic. It's meant for long-term health and viability of the periodontium or the gum tissue that support the teeth. Um, the most, most other things that are most important, of course, is your self-image, your self-esteem. Oh, my God, yeah. that's probably the most powerful aspect of, of aligning your teeth and giving yourself a great smile. Because, well, you know, what do people notice when you walk in the room first? It's your smile. Yeah, no, that's right, absolutely. But it's interesting, and I thank you for sort of sharing some of those, um, you know, the, 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 the big cases, the trends, the, the, the problems that you, you see. We often just think of our teeth as, you know, something you got to brush every night. But it's way more complicated that from a lifestyle and a self-esteem perspective. And I think, you know, oh. that, that is a big driver behind a lot of people we talk to is, uh, I think, just what Tarun said. It's now it's my turn, right? I get to straighten my teeth. Well, and I, I don't know. Like, I, I got my, my teeth straightened a long time ago when I was a kid. But, you know, I'm sure there's opportunities where you have, a, um, you have to go back and, and, and have a second look at that. Um, yeah. And I, I don't know. Just, just one other question, uh, Dr. Mara, was uh, was really um, what kind of, of, of orthodontics would you use on, on somebody who's 50? Because, you know, a lot of people don't want to go into a room and have, um, you know, uh, excuse the language, a, a little bit of the train track syndrome when they're, when they're 50. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Very good. Very good. Now, you know, there's lots of new technologies out there. For example, let's, let's go back. There's the traditional train track with the metal, metal braces. Um, there's also now that we offer uh, ceramic braces, which are, are brackets that are made out of uh, porcelain or glass that are tooth colored, which helps to mitigate some of the aesthetic concerns. 
Um, now, the biggest trend out there is treatment with clear liners. And one of the companies that are out there that, that really promote this product a lot is Invisalign, which is kind of a ubiquitous out there in terms of what they do. But now there's many other companies that are popping up that do the same, tech, same type of technology. Good question. We're going to have to leave it there, unfortunately, Tarun. Thank you very much. We're just uh, quickly running out of time. You're welcome. We've been joined by Dr. Tarun Mara, who's an orthodontist at Totally Orthodontics. So if you want to contact him, you can reach him at Totally Orthodontics. We've got a uh, seminar coming up. Absolutely. Um, we'll be doing that on Tuesday, November 20th at 7 p.m. at the Co-op Crowfoot Wine Spirits Beer. Um, once again, that's November 20th. If you'd like to register for that, drop us a line or send us a, a note on morethemoneyradio.com. Yeah, in our line, 403-966-8400. Stick around after the break to hear about how to de-stress. If you're worried about how your investments are doing, you're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here on More Than Money on 770 CHQR. And um, I was going to call you Faisal. Gosh, I'm sorry about that. You're probably going to punch wow. me in the face after the show on that one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm much better looking. Yeah, you are I might much... be a little chubbier, but, you know. You are much know. better looking. You bet. <laughs> sorry, Faisal. Uh, listen, you know, it's uh, Financial Literacy Month uh, this month, and... Uh, there's a, that means a bunch of different things. And uh, Credit Education Week is coming up November 13th to 16th. And, you know, we thought in light of all the market volatility, now this isn't just about investments, but in light of market volatility, we know that stress has gone up. Finances can create stress. Well, stress in, in all areas, yeah. right? We've got Bank of Canada's raising interest rates. The banks are moving different. Everything's changing. And, I, and it's starting to get Canadians on edge. Well, absolutely. And so we thought it would be uh, prudent to, uh, to take some steps to help people figure out how to de-stress a little bit. And to help us do that is Keith Emery. He's joining us today, Operations Director at Credit Canada. Keith, thanks for taking some time with us today. My pleasure. Okay, I'm going to read you a stat here. 44% of Canadians believe that their financial si uh, situation negatively impacts their mental health. That's staggering. Yes. Yeah, no, that's... Uh... We've, we've got a lot of scary stats when it comes to people's uh, feelings about debt. Um, there's more to add to that. I think we did a recent survey. We found that uh, one in three Canadians worries more about their money than their, than their uh, physical health, Overall health which is also pretty alarming. That is alarming. Um, and, I mean, those things uh, maybe are connected as well. But So what we know, I guess, is, uh, is that finances... Uh, can create stress, and you know, stress for the most part, you know, is probably uh, detrimental to our health. So let, let's talk a little bit about this whole thing. Um, how would you generally characterize how stressed Cana you know Canadians are about finances? And that could be investments, it could be credit, you know, it could be rising interest rates, whatever the case may be. Um, I mean, what we've been seeing, we've been tracking this for decades now. Um, there, there has been, you know, a gradual increase in the level of financial stress that Canadians are carrying. Um, we did a survey earlier in the year um, that looked at uh, the financial stress that people had and found some shocking results. A lot of it was there, there was a definite tie-in with mental health. The two things were, were complementary uh, in a kind of a negative way. Yep. And then our most recent survey as part of Credit Education, Credit Education Week with Capital One um, you know, that was the stat where we found that one in three Canadians is more worried about money than financial health. And um, the average Canadian spends about seven hours a week worrying about their money, which is the same amount of time that we spend eating. That's crazy. So you can see that uh, in general, yeah, Canadians are worried about debt. And the numbers bear that out, too. Like the debt-to-income ratio is at, uh, you know, one of its highest levels at $1.70. 
Yep. So we owe a dollar seventy for every dollar we earn. And uh, you know, there's other statistics that show that consumer debt is at all time high. Now, well, now I just just on that yeah. is is that um, on one when we look at those stats, um, I'm just curious: is that more on Western Canada versus Eastern Canada? Is it just combined across all of Canada? Where does that come from? I, it's nationwide. Okay. You know, it's. Uh, I think we're we're seeing it overall. The interest rates, um, lower interest rates, that have encouraged some Canadians to accumulate debt. You know, exist across the country. Um, rising uh, house prices that uh, have driven up some people's mortgage debt. You know, that's a phenomenon, I'd say, in most major centers across the country. Obviously, it's more isolated in some of the, the bigger centers like Calgary, Toronto, Vancouver. Um, but I'd say it's it's happening all over the country, and that bears out in terms of the clients that we deal with. We we see people from all over. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about it. So if we know that, that for all the reasons you've stated, uh, stress is on the increase, you know, interest rates are rising, we're, as a nation, we're indebted uh, at a rate that, you know, is his, near the historical highs. All of these things uh, sort of contribute to this. You've got markets now kind of bouncing around and creating that. What do we do about this? Let's maybe you talk a little bit about what, how, how can we solve that? How can we de-stress? Right. Um, well, one adage I sort of, I wanted to, I use is hurry up and slow down. Yeah. Um, so having a little bit of stress can be a positive thing if uh, if it gets you to act. Um, but once you've decided that you want to act, then we actually say you need to slow things down a bit and, and take a measured approach in terms of how to deal with the situation. So the theme for Credit Education Week this year is money mindfulness. Um, so we're encouraging people to, to kind of slow down, take stock, and then uh, and then make some you know smart decisions in terms of how to deal with their financial situation. So what that what that generally means is most of the, the the advice that we give our clients comes down to the basics really. It's about smart budgeting. So really looking at what's coming in, looking at what's going out, figure out how you can make sure that you've got more coming in than going out. Figure out where you can cut back on your expenses and primarily the biggest thing that we advocate at credit counseling is tackle high interest debt right. like that's something that applies no matter what the economic outlook is i agree with that so walk us through a little bit about that what would be high you know high interest rate debt and how can you restructure that effectively right so you know credit cards would be probably the primary culprit you could also have high interest loans um, you know, you're looking at for credit cards somewhere between 20 and 25 percent, and that's not even tied to the interest rate that's out there. So that's going to kill you no matter what's going on in the macro economy. Um, so in terms of credit card debt, I mean, we would say tackle that first. If you have other debt, if you have mortgage debt, if you have, you know, lower interest lines of credit, obviously make the minimum payments on those debt. But any additional money that you have, make sure you're channeling it into that high interest debt, um, including we, we also have some different psychological strategies that people can use to tackle high interest debt. Um, we recently released a debt calculator that covers two different strategies. One's called Avalanche and one called Snowball. Mm. Um, with Avalanche, what you do is you take any extra money you have after you've made all your minimum payments and you pile it into the highest interest credit cards first. That will minimize the amount of interest that you pay over the lifetime of that repayment. The snowball strategy says, okay, if you psychologically need to see that debt go to zero and that's going to motivate you, you might actually take any extra money and you put it into your smallest balance debt first. 
and that gives you that psychological reward of seeing one of those cards go down to zero. Keeps you on track. Yeah. I, I like that idea. Yeah, I mean, I've seen the snowball work before. I've seen a lot of these things work before. Um, I don't know about you, Dave, but I, I take a year. I, I, every year I look at my household finances and what we've spent and what we haven't. That's probably my nerdiness, financial planning sort of direction in my head. But um, I actually look and see if I'm overspending on certain things. And you know what? There are areas that I've improved over the course of over the last year mm -hmm. in, in reducing costs, whether that be insurance costs, uh, mortgage costs, uh, uh, right down to, um, you know, utility bills. Um, so there's opportunity. It's just that people have to take the time to go through it and do the exercise. Um, and then, of course, apply it to this, as, as, yep. uh, as Keith has said. Well, and Keith, I, I, like, I like this idea of the psychology. I think we underestimate this. Um, you know, from a financial planning perspective, you say address your, you know, your biggest balances, highest cost debt first. But the problem is people need momentum, right? And I think that's what you're speaking to. And I think that momentum is important. You've got to see some, some wins, some quick wins in order to, you know, to get committed to that for longer term. Because you can't often just, you know, throw down a bunch of money and solve the problem in one fell swoop. You took some time to get to where you're at. Now you need to take some time to work your way out of it. So I think that psychology is a really important element to it. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt. I mean, in the same vein, the other thing that we see with some, some people is they take kind of almost a binge dieting approach right. to attacking their debt. So they might take like a whole paycheck and throw it at their debt one week and just say, yeah, you know, got that covered. Um, but now they have this cash flow situation where they can't cover their other expenses. Um, and then all of a sudden they're getting into even more debt. So it's really important that if you do have a plan that it's also realistic inside of your budget, you know, something that you can sustain. Because we see sort of like like yo-yo dieting, but with debt, where they take a strategy that's not realistic, then it starts to fail. Yep. Then they feel like, okay, you know, I can't do this. It's not working. I'm never going to be out of debt. And, and they kind of throw their hands up, and then they, they might even end up in more debt when mm -hmm. they're done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're quickly running out of time, Keith. I want to thank you for raising some awareness. Uh, Credit Education Week coming up nationally between November 13th and 16th. Thank you very much for sharing those uh, stats with us. Some of those are scary and, you know, helping remind people just get on the train, make it sustainable, and start paying it down. Absolutely. My pleasure. Keith Emery, Operations Director at Credit Canada. My friend, we're going to talk a little bit about um, some of the de-stressing on the next segment uh, because people have been very, very nervous about October's performance and their investments. We're going to talk about some of the data that will help armor them against this and prove that point that we're, you know, we don't think it's a 2008 repeat. However, we're going to talk about that and all how to put it all together to bulletproof your retirement at our upcoming seminar. That we are. Um, that's going to be happening on Tuesday, November 20th, 7 p.m. at the Crowfoot Co-op Wine Spirits Beer. Once again, that's Tuesday, November 20th, Co-op uh, Crowfoot Co-op Wine Spirits Beer. Um, you can reach us um, if you'd like to register at 944-86, excuse me, try that again, 966-8400 or at morethemoneyradio.com. All right, that's great. Stick around after the break. If you're stressed about the volatility you saw in October, we're going to talk about some of the data that supports that we are not going to recession. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Andrew. Uh, you're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Uh, Andrew, we talked in the at the top of the hour, top of the show, a little bit about some of the fear people have been experiencing yep. you know, in the month of October because of the volatility. Uh, we promised if they stuck around at the end, we'd talk a little bit about some of the data that we shared with our clients on our conference call mm -hmm. this week that would support the fact that we're not in a 2008 scenario. Uh, 
most certainly, and we're not even in a recessionary environment. Yeah, but I, I let me just want to re reiterate on the fear point, Dave, that you know what? We understand it's it's difficult to watch your portfolio go down in value. It's difficult to see what you think you've you've created evaporate. Right. Um, and it's not something that we take lightly. Um, and, and that being said, those are key measures in, in the way people feel. And, of course, that can actually move to knee-jerk reactions that may not be appropriate for them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what we're trying to help people protect against because recognizing we, do, we get it, right? We get that it can mm -hmm. be scary, um, the uncertainty of the future, and certainly and not knowing. Like, uh, you know, markets can, for you know, any reason, you wake up in the morning and just kind of go wild on you. But the fact of the matter is the day-to-day the day -day trading or even a monthly trading um, is not about the success of your long-term plan. So we have to avoid making short-term right. uh, uh, emotional decisions that can actually have a, a negative impact on the long-term success. Oh, yeah. the and, plan of, and there's the plan. a lot of data that you know proves a lot of different points about missing um, so many trade days during the year, the best trading days. You'll, you'll lose it on, on quite a significant amount of return. And I don't want to really want to go into great detail with that, but I know we do have some details um, that I think are, are rather valuable and okay. pieces that you've got that uh, I think we should go over. Sure. So, you know, we, we call it our economic dashboard. There's a number of things that we look at uh, from an economics perspective to determine whether or not, you know, we're in a, a recessionary environment or we're approaching a recessionary environment or, you know, anything along those lines. Let me share some of this with you uh, in some of the data points to reinforce the, the general comment that we say we're not, you know, we're not a 2008, nor are we a, a recessionary environment. Mm -hmm. One of the things that is, uh, um, is often a precursor to a recession is what's called an inverted yield curve. And, and what that means is as the central banks around the world, uh, led by the U.S. Fed, increase the short term or the overnight lending rate, okay, when the, when the short term interest rate that you can earn right or be charged on short-term loans mm -hmm. is higher than the longer-term interest rates so we look at the two-year government yields versus the 10-year government yields if the two-year interest rate on that government bond is higher than the 10-year that's an inverted yield curve that's right right think about that scenario right you've got a bank that has to borrow in the short term from you and me and, and savers and lend it out and make less money that's right. Okay, it, it it doesn't work, right? That's that's an it's an abnormal situation. That inverted yield curve is usually a precursor to a recession at some point. That's right, and and economically speaking, this has been tracked since the '60s, and it's been a very good indicator in determining when a recession may be coming. Yeah, at it us. doesn't give you a precise indication of date, but let's just say that we do not have a yield uh, an inverted yield curve, although it it is flattening, but it's not inverted. So. That is not recessionary, not indicating recession. The what they call the ISM Manufacturing Purchasing Manager Index. Okay, forget about all that now that I well, said it. Well, yeah, no, it's first of all just ISM. That's just a company. Yeah. So let's just cross that yeah. off. <laughs> so this is looking at at um, at manufacturing around the world. So different regions, different countries. Every one of them has its own purchasing manager index. Anything below a reading of forty-five and a purchasing manager index indicates contraction. Anything above 50, so above 45, but really above 50, we like to see indicates expansion. Okay, If you look around the world as of the end of September, you could find two countries in the world that actually have negative okay, or contractionary P, um, PMIs, purchasing manager indexes, Turkey and South Africa. Okay, So 
in any of the you know the countries that you most people would be investing in, everything is still expanding. Yes. Okay. So that's a check mark. There's no no recessionary pressure there. Um, inflationary trends. Right? We are seeing some inflation. We are. Um, gasoline's more expensive at the pump. Groceries are starting to cost a little bit more. Um, and, and other basket of good items that we buy in a day-to-day is going up. Right. But I would tell you that you know those, those things being said, um, while we see inflation ticking up higher with interest rate increases, both from the Bank of Canada, because we've all heard about it in the news, mm-hmm. and the U.S. Fed, once mm-hmm. again, heard it in the news, I think they're containing that issue and therefore... While it is flickering as a as a measure saying it's going up, it's nothing that we can't handle at this point in time. Yeah, so there there is inflationary pressure. We are seeing wage inflation in the United States, not so much in Canada. But keep in mind, we did we did need central banks wanted to see some inflationary pressure for a long time. We had deflation risk, not inflation risk. We do have inflation happening, so I'm going to call that a flicker of amber. Okay? Yeah, it's uh, we got to keep our eye on on uh, on inflation. Inflation can lead to uh, central bank tightening, i.e. raising interest rates. And uh, if the Fed makes a policy mistake in terms of going too far or the Bank of Canada raises interest rates too far, that can actually lead to recession. So we're going to call that amber. Capacity utilization above 80%. Okay? So factories. If factories are producing goods and, they're, and, and they're, they're capacity, if they're running at a capacity above 80%, that tends to indicate that there's going to be some capacity pressure building in the system, right? Yeah. The economy might be running too hot for, for the ability of our businesses to be able to produce the goods that we want to we wanna buy. Um, no, there's no capacity utilization problems at this particular point in time. Okay? No. I'm going to call that a green light. No inflation. Or sorry, no, uh, no recession on that data. Housing starts declining. No. Labor market weakening. We just had numbers, to, uh, not today, but uh, yesterday. Yeah. And they were both favorable, both in Canada and the U.S. Right. Um, so the economies are creating jobs. Uh, unemployment rates are moving lower, not higher. Okay. Uh, I would say the answer is no. Labor market weakening, mm-hmm. no. In fact, uh, it is stronger. And the U.S. data probably indicates some wage inflation building. That leads me back to the uh, the call it the amber around inflationary trends. So labor market weakening, no, that's a green light, okay? No recession. Leading economic indicators, negative. So there's a number of leading leading economic indicators, and I would say on balance, the answer is no. They are not indicating um, uh, a lack of optimism, a slowing uh, in the economy whatsoever. No. And I think what we, what, when you look at all these things, these are just a few data points, but these data points are, are important in trying to determine whether or not economically things move higher or they go lower. Yep. And right now I'd say that what we've, what we've felt over the last four or five weeks has been a correction within the market, what I call a repricing of assets. But I don't think that this train has, has decided it's going to stop. I think it's going to continue to ride. Well, we don't have to think about it. What the data says is we are not in a recessionary environment. The data mm-hmm. points do not indicate recession. I think that's really important. So there are risks to the market. We've talked about those. That's not today's conversation. But the fact of the matter is when we look across the economic dashboard, the economic dashboard 
is largely green with that one flicker of amber around inflation. So that tells us that this is an environment that still indicates expansion, not contraction. That favors equity over bonds. Bonds and cash could be pretty close to the same. Let me share you, and we're running out of time here. I want to be very quick, Andrew. Just I did some, uh, some research. So history would suggest that investors can profit from the dip. So looking back, average one-year forward returns following corrections from 1987 to 2017, 30 years of data here. If it's a 10% pullback, okay, um, in a non-recessionary year, we would expect to see a 20% um, uh, rise off of that low. Okay, that's the average. This is on S&P 500. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't want anybody to hear that this is a guarantee by any stretch of the imagination, but typically these dips in non-recessionary years tend to be opportunities and tend to, over the following uh, 12 months, do quite well. Um, there's data for 5% pullbacks, 15%, uh, but we hit about a 10% there. So, again, history doesn't necessarily repeat itself, but it sure rhymes. And so mm -hmm. the history, would, the, the data would tell us we're not in recession. We had a, uh, a dip for various reasons, but that the, the next 12 months in a non-recessionary year actually look pretty decent. I hope that helps. If anybody has any questions about that, wants to go into more detail about it, you can always uh, join us at our uh, upcoming seminar. Why don't you remind everybody about that? Sure, Dave. It's uh, coming up Tuesday, November 20th, at 7 p.m. at the Crowfoot Co-op Wine Spirits Beer. Um, please give us a call if you'd like to register, 966-8400 or um, online at morethanmoneyradio.com. And if you have any questions about what we've been talking about, you can reach us through that morethanmoneyradio.com at any point. We'll do our best to, uh, to get back to you in a timely fashion. Okay, we've got to wrap up another show. I want to thank you for joining us today. Uh, any of the um, segments on this show or past shows, you can join in, or sorry, you can revisit at morethanmoneyradio.com, or you can have them directly delivered to you by searching for More Than Money CHQR in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQ. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund, an investment industry regulatory organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.